Hello friends and welcome back to the intro. This is your host Matt Delavalle aka MDV and I'm joined today on the show by Stuart Brower. Stu is the mastermind behind WTF What The Fuck Gym Talk and as the name hints you better buckle up when Stuart's on the mic because he doesn't pull any punches. He's outspoken, in your face, and doesn't baby anybody when talking about the gym and coaching biz. And for me, it's absolutely refreshing like you wouldn't believe. But you better listen closely out there to what this wild man is saying because he's almost always right. And in this episode, Stuart and I cover everything from gym owners waiting for that quote-unquote post-COVID comeback all the way to the realistic odds of coaches out there thinking they're just going to make it by showing up every day to coach one or two classes a day. So grab a notebook, grab a chair, but before you do that, let's talk about the NC Fit app. And if you've been following me on Instagram at, at MDV underscore FIT, you're gonna see me in the lab out in my garage creating and testing a ton of different workouts. And if you're looking to get in the best shape of your life, the NC Fit app is the place to do it. We've got four programs for you. We've got a strength and conditioning program, a high intensity interval training program. We've got a dumbbells only program and then a competitor's fitness program. And I tell you guys, it's just the beginning. We're gonna have a lot of new and exciting stuff coming to the NC Fit app. So go down to the app store, check it out, the NC Fit app, get the best workout of your life. Grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from Stuart Brower. Let's go. All right, ladies and gents, and welcome back to the intro. I'm excited today to talk to Stuart Brower. Stuart, also known as what the fuck, Jim Talk, WTF, Jim Talk. Welcome to the show. Thank you, man, for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to talk to you. I was on your podcast a couple of uh, weeks ago, and uh, we had a really interesting conversation about my background, my history. I want to know, you've become kind of the de facto, in my opinion, voice of reality in the gym owner coaching space and in a, in a very real way, not dancing around, not mincing words, just telling people what it is, what you think, and not really apologizing for any of it. And I wanted to kick it off by what are you seeing out there, man? What are you seeing? What's going on? 2021. Yeah. So let me lean into that question and, and like on a backside, like a behind the, the Oz kind of curtain for everyone listening <laughs> for, for everyone. It's, if you're familiar with my work and what I do, it is maybe a little bit counterculture, especially to the CrossFit thing. People might be familiar with my story of finding CrossFit in 06 and then growing a, a very successful CrossFit brand. And then I completely imploded it by closing it down and bought a building, created a new brand. And then we started licensing it just this year. And that transition you know, it, it took me away from CrossFit, not in a negative way, just I want to do something different. But I, just to, to answer your question, we follow up this. At the time when I looked at people giving business advice, I mean, even this is back when even Jace and um, JP were on the circuit for, um, oh, fuck, Box the Biz. Yeah. Right. But that wasn't, a, they weren't selling consulting. They would just go and talk and it was free. It was cool philanthropy. But then you had companies like Two Brain, that is a full time mentory business. You had guys like uh, John Birch. And his business, his business consulting. When I came out, there were all these groups that were making companies on business consulting. And when that happens, well, it's a business. You're going to have employees. You got to. You need a lot of customers to keep that machine going. I knew instantly. I was like, I'm never going to create a business out of my consulting. I'm just going to give myself a job. And by having a job, and if I charge a high enough rate, I can have a very comfortable, good living 
but I don't have to cater to appeasing the masses because mm -hmm. my business model needs it. You know, uh, and again, I'm not picking on them. I'm just using them as an example. They're an amazing company, but Two Brain has the mission of helping 1 million entrepreneurs. Guess what you can't do if you want to help 1 million entrepreneurs? Say shit that is 49, 51% polarizing either way. You can't do that. It's just not going to work. You have to be very vanilla and, and not soft, but you have to, you can't come on here and say, hey, gym owners, dogs in your gym is fucking ridiculous. Having dogs run around, take a piss on the gym floor is a 2006 thing. If you want to elevate your fucking thing, let's do things different. You probably shouldn't say that if you're trying to help 1 million micro gym CrossFit affiliates. I mean, that's question. Yeah. Is that because if you say it from the position of whether it's two brain or uh, NC fit or whatever organization you're representing, is that because the, the organizational impacts that those statements could have, as opposed to if you're just saying it as MDV or Stuart Brower, hey, it's just my opinion, man. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I think it's because once you're an actual, cause again, I have a job with WTF. If I die, it dies with me. I look at companies like two brain uh, and the founder, Chris Cooper, who is an absolute genius and a very smart guy, but like he, he is a business. He doesn't have to consult and he's built a business and a business means you've hired people to do it for you in order for him to keep those people on payroll and keep gyms coming down the pipeline. You probably can't get too polarized. Like I, I made a post, you know, if you have a gym in under 3000 square feet and you're doing CrossFit with a seven foot barbell, you're probably going to go out of business. I'm going to come check on you in 10 years. You're probably going to go out of business because you don't understand sixth grade math. And unfortunately, nobody explained, you know, my videos on this didn't show up until 2017. And I couldn't help you back in 2013 when you decided to go down this journey. He probably can't say that. And he like two brain because that's a, probably a big chunk of their business is CrossFit gyms and under 3000 square, 3, square feet. So, but again, it's, you know, I have a job. So to go to your original thing, um, that's where my voice came from and why it probably seems a little bit counterculture in some things and a little bombastic at times because I don't need to preserve a, a, an audience and a market to be like, oh, I just make sure everyone's really happy with my thing. I just put out exactly as I see it. Mm. Um, and, and right now, to answer your second question, what do I see right now? Um, you know, the big thing, everyone's coming back online. Unfortunately, you know, California being one of the slower ones. I saw a video of Jace the other day doing fucking a workout with a mask on. It just like, I just can't wait for the, the slower states to this to just catch up. I feel my heart bleeds for you guys. Um, now, it, I think a lot of people are waiting for a gold rush, like waiting for like the roaring 20s for people to come. Yeah, you know, we've, you know, you've talked about this. The average person gained X amount of pounds during COVID. So many people like, and I do, I think there will be this rush. But again, I, I hate talking about it because I'm fearful for the gym owner who's just going to sit. Okay, just soon enough, one of these days it's coming. It's coming. It's got to be coming. And like, and you're not proactive. They're just waiting for it to happen. Um, and right now, I think is the time for your messaging to really dial in to, because again, you have people that are not in the marketplace. They're considering coming back to the marketplace. That's the perfect time to be pushing new messaging out. Any new messaging you've been wanting to push out, now is the time to do it. Go back pre-COVID, a big group of the audience wasn't listening to you because they might've already been at a gym yeah. or they might've already had made a decision. Eh, I just don't really want to do that group fitness thing. Well, if you truly believe it's going to be the roaring twenties, you truly believe we're going to come back online, then you need to believe that there's a boatload of people who are going to respond to someone's message might be yours. might be the guy down the street. So you better be cramming that shit down their throat in a, in a social media online world. That's a really, really strong point. And a point that I, I really hadn't considered uh, all too much, because if you think about it, if you're just fucking sitting back on your ass and you think that people are going to walk through the doors of your gym just because, you know, fitness is quote unquote 
allowed now, or you can get back to training without your mask, without distancing. There is a plethora of options that people are going to have available to them. Everybody is going to be in the same boat, whether or not you're a commercial, a small boutique commercial gym, whether or not you're a big globo gym, whether or not you're somebody who's selling personal training, whether or not you're training people in the fucking park, whether or not you're Peloton, some other kind of uh, at home type of fitness, everybody's going to be looking for these people who are getting back to it. It's almost like expecting that when Reebok and CrossFit signed the CrossFit games contract and you just sat back and you licked your chops and waited for everybody to come through your doors. They didn't come. Yeah. They probably, maybe a few people did, but the masses weren't there. Sure. A hundred percent. And then active versus passive, you know, um, I've been infatuated with the guys over as an apparel company, fuel hunt, and uh, a lot of the sayings that they have on their shirts and their apparel. And, you know, there are micro gym owners who understand that to hunt, you have to get out of the four walls that Kevin Costner, if you build it, they will come feel the dreams kind of ideas. Everyone should know that's dead, but most don't like, so let's say I get on a call with the gym owner. And one of the, one of the questions I'm going to ask him is, Hey, in the past 90 days, how many leads came in, how many of those leads became prospects? I mean, they came in the door and how many of those prospects became customers? And the, the latter of those three prospects, the customers tells me your say your sales ability and your, you know, uh, lead to uh, prospect. And then your total leads gives me a marketing idea of how you're doing marketing. The majority of micro gyms are seen like the least to go probably maybe around 10 people a month. This business, if I, and I've got the Excel sheets, I could run you through it. If you're not seeing anywhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 30 people a month, new people, like new people trying you out, you're in a serious, seriously bad position. Like think it like if you have six classes a day, one person trying out one class per day, that's what we're talking about. Literally just, let's say six classes, you have six hours that one person, just one, needs to come in and try that out. And that's, let's not say 30 a month, let's call it 25 because you're closed on Sundays or whatever the fuck it may be. But like, that's, and it's not insane. Like, your owner's like, I've, I haven't gotten 25 leads ever. It's because you're not doing a thing. You're, you don't, and again, I don't know what it is you're not doing. It's probably a lot that you're not doing. But to think that you will survive, when I say survive, owner makes the money they want, they're able to employ people and pay them what they want, and they're able to give the customer what they want. You're not going to do it. You will fucking fade to darkness and sell your gym for 30 cents on the dollar to some guy in fucking three years. So if you're, if you're thinking that there's a lack of input in, in regards to what the gym owner is doing to generate those leads, what, what are you thinking about? Because the traditional CrossFit micro gym owner would say, hey, we have great workouts, great coaches, great community, right? Like, sure. Those would be the three things that they would say, and our, and our members do the marketing for us. Yeah. 100%. That's kind of of the traditional mindset. A hundred percent. And the thing with that is, um, well, let's just, let's go with it. Let's, uh, let's go with the coaches. We have great coaches. I I, I would hope so. That's, that'd be like a restaurant say we have great food. Like, well, fuck. Yeah. That's what you do. It it, it should be great. Like we, you know, uh, if American airlines, before I get on my next one, Hey, our airplanes are great. Like I fucking hope so. They're fucking 30,000 feet up in the air. I need them to be great there. You don't get points. You don't get to brag about that. That'd be like you going on a date with a chick and she'd be like, tell me about you. I'm like, I have a dick. <laughs> and she'd be like, uh, you're a dude. I would hope you have a dick. Like, I don't know how it works, like how you do what you do with it, but I hope you like, it's the bare minimum. It's the fucking bare, but telling me you have good coaches. Like when I hear that from a gym owner, what that means, they don't have anything else to say. 
They mm. don't truly know what it is they do that's special. They following some unofficial cross recipe. My rogue banner goes here and my pull-up rate goes there and I have a pallet wall and you know I have a kill cliff and like and everyone looks like a fucking unofficial franchise because we're all doing the same bullshit. But so that's coaches. I think you can't brag and lead with coaches in your marketing because that's a duh. No prospect. It's like, oh, this place says they have great coaches. Like that, that would mean if you believe that, that they think the rest of the marketplace without ever testing them out has bad coaches. And that's not true. Like you don't know a restaurant has bad food until you've gone there. Mm. That's it. So let's go from coaching to uh, programming. We have great programming. Again, yeah, great programming, programming is something that uh, I believe it can add to retention. If you do it right, you don't get people hurt. I believe it adds an entertainment factor. Um, you know, you can make the workouts fun and exciting people excited to come in and do it. And I believe there's an education factor for that top 10% that really want to understand the stretch shortening cycle. And they really want to understand lactate threshold and blah, 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 blah. That's great. However, to a prospect, when they hear programming, they're thinking you work for IBM or you work at Palo Alto or Mountain View, right? Like they think it's nobody really understands what that means. And to talk about it, that'd be like me, I, I'm, I'm actually going to get a new car. And I'm like, you know, if I go ahead and I'm the, the mechanic is telling me about the fucking, the dual fucking cell battery. And the, I'd be like, bro, I don't know. Like how fast does it go? Like, just tell me the cool shit. Tell me the, the high level stuff. And that's what gym owners I think are missing. When you talk about the programming, like, well, we have this really good blend of strength and conditioning it has three different speeds to it. And we do it like this, this, and this. And on these days we have a strength first. You're that's nobody kid. That's not marketing language. That's stuff that stays internal. Once you're a customer, you appreciate it. You understand it. You speak the jargon, just like CrossFitters speak the jargon. However, day one, when you were just learning about CrossFit, you no didn't clue. get what AMRAP, EMOM, TTB was, and all these other acronyms. So don't lead with programming in your marketing. Um, and even when the gym owner says, well, but everyone else sucks. Nobody knows that but you. Mm. That's it. You know, and, that's a, it's, and it's subjective. Mm. Like, and it's tough, to dis- it's tough to discern if you don't know. It's it, impossible having, to discern. Yeah. 100, it's just like any, <laughs> most things are subjective. But I mean, programming, I guarantee you. Gym owner's like, I have the best program. Like, bullshit. I guarantee you if I have one person in your gym, one that's actually paying you, and I say, hey, is this the best programming? They'd be like, not really. I, but it's close to my house. <laughs> like that would be an answer somebody would give. So like you don't like if somebody doesn't think you have the best programming, then you don't have it. It's not it's not an objective statement. And it's just an ego filled gym owner thing. And then the last one, you and me were riffing on this uh, with some audio messages back and forth is community. And nobody ever in the history of micro gym dumb signed up for a gym for the primary purpose, primary purpose. Hey, I'm here. My name's Stu. I need to make friends. They would love for it to be a consequence of going to the gym. They'd love for it to be a feature set. They'd love for it to be a, you know, a thing that happens, but no one's ever coming on a console to make really. So what do you hear? Like, I'm looking for a bestie. I'm looking for a group of people I can hang out with on Saturday. Cause then as a gym owner, you'd be like, I can't guarantee that man, because yeah, there's really social people here, but I don't know. They might not like you. Like you can't guarantee friendships as a gym owner or even advertise that you're like, who you're not in control of what happens with those people. Um, what, and, and I want to, I want to kick it over to you real quick. How do you view in your years of, especially at the higher levels coaching, how do you, how have you heard the word community evolve? Or do you still think community is still, it's still maybe not evolved in the micro gym industry. to so the way that you and me have discussed it. It's overused. I think the word community has become so overused that it's lost any sense of real meaning for the people who use it. Um, it's very, very 
it's a cliche thing to say. And, you know, I understand that it sounds really good. And I understand that there probably are good intentions behind saying that you have a great and strong community. But I don't know necessarily if, if it means anything different to anybody other than just a nice buzzword now that's associated with going to a CrossFit gym or a, a micro gym. It, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a very thin word in a lot of ways. Look at sports. Every sports team has the best fans. Every sports team, you hear that, you know, I, I, I'm a big college football fan. You watch college game day go on like, oh, here we are. And we're in, you know, Columbus, Ohio with the Ohio State is some of the best fans in the country. And they will literally that's every team is going to say they have the best fans. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the big thing, uh, you know, we were talking about I'm really heavy on is this concept that gym owners who state that their community is one of the best things about their business. And one of the things they're super proud of, again, it's because they don't really have anything else to say. Like if you ask me about urban movement, what are the things I thought was special, unique? Why should someone license it? Uh, if I was, whatever. I never, ever would embarrass myself by saying fucking community. Never. And I say that with some fucking fire for everyone listening. Yeah, if you use you community, I am kind of poking some fun at you because it's fucking embarrassing that the thing you would advertise or you would brag about is something you have zero control over. You community, here's some operational definitions for everyone listening. Community is the actual people that are in the organization, the membership or whatever. So it's Tom and Sally and Jane and Tina. Those people are the, are the make up the community. Culture is what kind of people are in the community. So if Tom and Jane and Tina and Mark and whatever the names I said are all similar, cool people, they're all vibe. They'd all laugh at the same joke. They'd all kind of understand it. They treat people the same way. They have the same core values as people. Then the culture is dialed in. And then the people are just the community. But here's the thing about community. It's, constantly changing. Tina moves because her husband got a new job and Sally starts going back to school and she goes to Cincinnati, Ohio to take, you know, classes. Like people come and go out of your gym every single month. That is mm. a fact, right? Just like your grandmother's Nana's going to die one day, kids. Why? Because that's what happens to old people. They fucking die. You're going to die one day. I'm going to die one day because we know that's what happened. Gym members will die, aka cancel at some point on a long enough timeline. Everybody cancels. Everyone, 100% of people cancel on a long enough timeline. Hmm. So from there, guys, you accept, I'm not actually in control of who the actual people are in here. The only thing I control is creating a community that would suffocate anybody that didn't vibe with our thing. And I I would love to hear some stories. I know I've got some with community members who, even if you had great culture, squeak through the cracks and you're like, why are you a dick? Like everyone else in here is so cool, but everyone's got that one member or two or three members that are just like, you're a fucking dick. And I hate when you're in this class and you're kind of rude to people. How did you get in here? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I'll get to that, uh, that point in a moment, but is this just semantics? Is it just, are, are we saying that community is culture and culture is community, but we're using a wrong term to define it? Or are you saying that, Hey, there is a difference here between the two. This one word over here, community has become so conflated, so meaningless so attached to just the people who are coming into your gym every day that you're not saying anything special by using this word. But if you're saying culture over here and you really have a great understanding of who you are, what you do and why you do it, yes, that can be turned into something very meaningful for you. 
Yeah. But is that just semantics I, or I mean, is it, it semantics or is there? No, a I think it's, I think it's, there's two, there are two separate things, community, the actual people, culture, what kind of people are they? Now you can dictate culture. You can change culture. You can't change people. I mean, like we talked about the, the you know, two, three or four shitty members in your gym that don't match the culture. You can fire them. Mm. But beyond that, you know, or, or most gym owners are going to need the money or they're not going to want to fire it. They don't want the customer service headache. They're not want the blowback. So they're going to leave a community member. But then if you ask him, be like, hey, that guy, he's a part of your community. That's John, right? That guy who just like threw his fucking wipe on the floor and doesn't pick up after himself is kind of rude to everyone. He's in your community, right? But I thought you just told me you have the best fucking community in San Francisco. What he's a part of your committee, like, well, yeah, but he's man, he's different. Most people, 99% of our members aren't like that. Like, okay, so your community has broken elements in it, like anything else, like software has bugs, new homes have cracks in the fucking whatever, like, every it has some cracks in it, but your culture overall ideally will suffocate out people. And I like, and I, I struggle with that even with urban. We've we don't have, I mean, literally maybe what point zero one percent of what I have with a CrossFit gym. But I wanted to create a community or a culture that would suffocate anybody where they're like, this is not for me. Like, and we did like guys who wanted to drop barbells and take their shirts off. Like that's shit that we don't do in mm. at urban movement. And I had people like, why can't I take my shirt off? I go to the beach and I take my shirt off and they have a great argument because like, that's not the culture I want here. Mm. So that's, that's very simple. So you either keep it on or invest in some fucking dry fit. You cheap fuck. <laughs> and it, or it goes, go somewhere else and they would go somewhere else. Um, but that's me attempting to preserve culture and then people can choose to be in the community or not, but I'm not in charge of the community. Mm. It's completely out of my hands. Mm. How do you go about if we're, if we're going to follow that and we're going to say that culture is the thing that you need to be establishing, promoting that you need to be using as a differentiator for you. How do you go about establishing culture? And then how, after that, how do you let other people who might not be inside the culture right now know about the culture. So it's meaningful for them that they want to come on in and try that out. I've got the best example in the micro gym industry. And I wish it was my own for my own company, but it's not, it's, it's metabolic metabolic. When they started, they were, they, the founders were CrossFit gym owners and they, they, they changed their model and they, you know, left CrossFit. And this was really, it was like 2012, like when there was a lot of money still on the CrossFit table that they left they said to themselves, we want nothing but high performers. We want people who show up on time, always had their credit card, never defuncts. They're like, they're high performers. They're trying to be C-suite executives or own their own business, or they're trying to grow in their personal life and their career. We want those people. Now, you know this, you take meetings with people. If someone's late to a meeting, what is your instant take on how they perceive that meeting or you? Not important. Okay. So what they did they have a sign like their entire their their all their buildings have a vinyl wrap on the window so you can't really see in but there's just on the front door be great not late doors lock immediately at the at the hour that class starts so you could be there at 801 for the 8 a.m. class and you're locked out mm. and if you registered you get you get charged a cancellation fee a prospect, you know how prospects are like, you're like, Hey, you're going to come in for the 6 PM class. If you could be there at five 30, so we can get you situated. And how many times does a prospect I'm come la- in at, I'm fucking laughing at this because three yeah. minutes beforehand, and that's fine. Three minutes beforehand. But if they show up at the time, they're locked out and they have, it goes to their Google reviews. They, show up. they have negative Google reviews for people complaining about this, but 
Think about it. When you want to preserve culture, you have to understand you're going to go 51, 49. You are going to have some people like, that's fucking dumb. There was traffic, whatever. They're like, we don't care. We want high performers. So we're going to literally raise the barrier to entry so high that only other people that are on time, like, what do you think the people who are always on time for things think about that rule? They're like, that's the best fucking rule ever. I fucking love that. You lazy piece of shit. Get out of bed 10 minutes earlier. Oh, traffic. What? Like you didn't know there was traffic here. You're a grown ass 37 year old and you're going to fucking use traffic as an excuse. You have a car, you drive on the roads. You know that five o'clock there's traffic fucking plan. You piece of shit. Like that's, that is what those people think that are on time. And they love metabolics brand for one of the reasons is that they uphold the culture. And that's honestly one of the best examples I've ever seen. I know few gym owners who would have the balls to install that fucking policy yeah i mean uh that's a that's a great example and i think that that example highlights the fact that there there is a way to establish a culture that you can hold a line and you can hold your people to it but that might not be the line that everybody wants to tow right and there's and that's okay i think that one of the biggest takeaways from what you just said is that if you're trying to please everybody out there you end up probably fucking pleasing nobody out there. You end up just becoming another generic brand of fitness that is saying, we have open doors. We welcome everybody with open arms and join our community. And we have the best community. The culture there is crazy. I think, you know, and to go to that, like, you know, that policy, I don't have that policy at Urban Movement for very specific reasons, because mm. that would mess with the culture I'm trying to create. So I'm not saying like, again, for everyone listening to that, uh, you know, I didn't mean to get so heated on that, but like, I just want you guys to understand, like, if you really want to preserve culture on something, you have to uphold it a thousand percent. Like we did it with dropping barbells from overhead when we outlawed that, when we became urban movement, like that was something, I mean, I preserved, I don't, I didn't coach and I would be in my office on the other side of the building. If I heard a barbell drop, I was out the door in the hallway and I dead stare at that fucking coach on the floor. I'm like, I don't know who did it, but I want to see you go and talk to somebody just privately off to the side nicely and make mm. sure that it fucking doesn't happen again. Cause that's so important to me. I never want to hear that noise in an urban movement ever. And it, you, you just have to be willing to act with it. Now let's go to your other thing. Like not be, if you try to accommodate everybody, you're nothing to everybody, that kind of scenario. Like I, I think that, you know, if you're Mother Teresa and you're nice to everybody, then, and everyone loves you, you know, whatever, that's one thing. But for a brand, a micro gym brand, who we would all agree have, we all have to set ourselves apart. That's why you can't be, you can't be, you can't be everything to everyone. Because it, it, it's not even that you'll be nothing to anybody. You'll be something to the people who pay you, but it doesn't allow you to stand apart. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow you to say, this is what I believe in. And this is what I don't believe in. So like the gym that has boot camp and yoga and Pilates and CrossFit, that's, you know, and outside of the global gym uh, model that has a little bit of everything. Nobody knows what to say about you. You're, you haven't niched in anything. So mm. yeah, I mean, your, your culture and the actions and the rules you put in the place um, should always be that preserve culture. Soul cycle does it better than anyone. Soul cycle has a sign outside of every studio and it has five rules on it. Okay. All the rules only exist so that other people's client experience does not get impacted. So the rules like doors close at the start of class. You can't come in. No cell phones. If you, if your cell phone goes off, you will have to leave. 
things that like they're not doing it because they're soul cycle like oh we're a fucking amazing company and we just want to be dicks and listen to me it's because they want to preserve client experience how many times mdv have you or one of the coaches you've worked with has got frustrated during the wad briefing that workout brief and someone's in the back chatty cathing it up just fucking talking and you hear them and you want to be like bro i'm up, i'm up here talking when really the issue is man the other four people around you can't fucking hear what i'm saying because mm-hmm. you're talking about last night's game like, you know, like the little rules like that. And like, how do you handle that scenario? There's a lot of coaches that just let that go. They're like, I'll, I'll talk to him later. But like, no, set the example early. Mm. I was going to ask you, that's a great, great lead in the next question. How do you get your team of coaches who are mostly making hourly wages to buy into this idea that they have to uphold a certain culture or a certain standard? Yeah. So, I mean, number one, they, they, you got to monkey see monkey do, they got to see you do it. So like at urban, you know, again, let's go to that barbell dropping example. My team would see me in like interrupt my work on the other side of the office or building and to run over and like, Holy shit. That if Stu's getting out of his office and doing a fucking 40 yard dash over here, because he heard a barbell drop, that's obviously something important, but then it's also giving them the tools. Cause what a lot of coaches don't have, like in the beginning, not many of them are great at public speaking. They mm-hmm. learn it. What a lot of them don't have is they don't have a toolkit of ways to diffuse high tension scenarios. Let's say, uh, you know, it's urban and we have a newer guy in and he's an ex CrossFitter and he's fucking, he's, it's his first workout in with us. And a fourth of the way through the workout, he rips off his shirt. He grabs chalk, which we don't allow either. He's clapping chalk and he's dropping a barbell. I might have a newer coach who's like, I have no idea how to handle this guy. Like he's fucking like, he's like, he's super into his workout. I feel like if I interrupt him and stop him and tell him he's going to punch me in the face mm. and they're, they're nervous. So I would equip them with, well, here's how I would handle these things. Like I literally have one liners for the shirt line. Like I used to tell the guy would take his shirt off. I'm like, Oh man, it was, your shirt's off. Are you hot? He goes, yeah, man, I was super, super hot. I'm like, yeah, you know, the temperature in here doesn't change when you take your shirt off. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call him a dickhead, but it'll be like, you really like, and I would just have something a little bit smart ass, but very factual and true to make them realize I'm like, listen, I completely understand. I know it's hot in here. However, we have a policy. Everyone mm-hmm. keeps their shirts on throughout the workout. Um, and, and so, you know, listen, kick it back on blah, blah, blah. And I've never, ever had someone say, fuck you. I'm out. I can't wear a shirt. Never in the history of ever done. And maybe that's happened a dozen or two dozen times ever in my career. Mm-hmm. Never had anyone flip out about it. I just communicated with them. But once my staff sees me do it, and then I can arm them with a script or a one-liner or a two-liner that they can run with, now they feel more confident. Because not everyone, like you and me, from public speaking in a coaching setting and podcasting for a while, we're quick, like we're quick-witted. We can, we can spit our spit real fucking quick. We don't need anyone to teach us. A lot of coaches don't have that, you know, especially mm. part-timers. Maybe they have a nine-to-five job. They're not, they're not as quick on their toes in those confrontational situations. Mm. So arm them with some really good one-liners and comebacks or, you know, remember comebacks when you were a kid, oh, that's a great comeback. Snap like when you're back, talking shit. Yes, back. exactly. When you're talking <laughs> shit on the playground, you got to have those and just make sure they represent the culture and the brand appropriately. What's your tolerance for coaches who are quote unquote talented coaches? They can technically do the job very well, but then maybe they don't hold the standard always at the level that you want them to 
where are you themselves? at themselves? Like they, when they move, they don't hold that standard or they allow other people to get away with shitty form. Uh, kind of both. Because one of the, one of the issues that I see come up in a lot of my conversations with gym owners is the fact that they have people on their team who don't necessarily toe the line of the business that the coach, whether or not they think that their opinion or their point of view, or they feel self-important that they are so in, so empowered to lead the people an opposite direction that they can, the gym's policy is this, but I don't care about that. You know what? I'm actually going to say this, whether or not that's because you don't like a workout, you don't agree with a decision. You don't like the fucking t-shirt that we're selling. You don't agree with the rule about the chalk or the drop in the barbells, whatever it is, technically sound coach members love the person, but not towing the line. Sure. So that line, if someone's not towing it, it, it like the fact that they're not towing it should be at that point, like, what are they thinking? Like, it'd be like that, like the equivalent, like a, a coach at my urban movement, allowing someone to use the chalk and shirt off and drop the barbell. They might as well park their car through the front door into the gym. It'd be the same kind of reaction because I have made such a big deal as to these things are no-no's. Here's why they're no-nos. Are we all in agreement that if our end goal is to create this kind of culture, this kind of brand, that these things are no-nos? Let's go around the room and talk. And I think that's the other thing is that when you're creating core values, core focus, niche is the big three that I call it, um, and which create policies and rules officially, you know, or a creed, which would be an external creed to your members or an internal creed for your coaches and staff you have to have that discussion publicly and, and make people feel comfortable debating you on it. I love debate and I love disagreement because disagreeing is the only reason we have anything in this world because two people saw it differently. Mm. It's the only reason we have anything. So I, in my company, I welcome debate. My, my head dog GM, her name is Isaac. We fucking go head to head round for round at least once every seven to 10 days, like to the point where it's like, you're going to quit. Cause I feel like I just like, I, I feel like what I just said to you, you could probably quit. If there was an HR department here, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Like behind closed but, doors though. Right. Uh, oh yes. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Never in public ever, ever, ever. Never <laughs> let mommy and daddy be seen arguing in public. Um, but that enabling her to like, I, I encourage us to have disagreements. Like I never get upset when we get into arguments. I'm always very happy because that shows that we're openly communicating. How many gym owners have you seen or head coaches, whoever has to reprimand the coach, not towing the line or talk to that person just doesn't know how to communicate it or the coach, it feels awkward. So they just kind of avoid it mm. and it never really gets fluctuated. And eventually it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And then it's an eruption. Mm. A lot. I, I think that it's part and parcel that people need to engage in more discourse. I think discourse is, first of all, as a, as a fucking country right now, the whole idea of discourse has, has gone out the window where two people approach something with different point of views and just discuss it. And whether or not they end up agreeing or disagreeing with one another, at least they have heard each other out. That is gone. And if it's not my way, and if you don't do it my way, you are now a evil person, an idiot, a racist, a bigot, or whatever it is that, that, that idea, I think within our culture right now is more normal than it's ever been. And that's really fucking scary. But I also think that it can be hard for somebody specifically like a person like you or a person like me, we have very strong opinions, very strong points of view. We come at this thing, looking at it from years and years and years of experience, thousands of reps underneath our belt, situational awareness of what's been going on. I think sometimes it's difficult for people to engage in discussion like that unless it's specifically encouraged and you're letting your people know that 
hey, listen, I want to talk about this. I want to hear your point of view. You might not have the same level of experience, but I still want you to bring whatever's irking you to me so that we can talk about it in terms of what this policy is or this why or whatever. That has to happen. It does. And, and I truly think that there are some gym owners that are not having these discussions, open debates or, or letting um, that head coach know or that coach know, like, I don't like the way you do this. Like if I, because they're fearful, how many, and, and I know this oh, is for sure. gym owners are HR starved. Like that's one of the hardest things. You find a great coach, you find someone who can take those classes that you've been coaching for the past four years and you finally made enough money now that you can afford to have someone. The last thing you want to do is like, do I really want to rock the boat because he didn't he didn't correct the member who dropped the barbell overhead. Like I really like sleeping in and my wife's happy that I come home at 7 PM. Now I don't want to take that away and possibly lose that over my ego and my rules. And I, and I, and I, I hear that from gym owners all the time. I'm afraid to rock the boat because I'm kind of held captive by that employee. And, and I try to, you know, peel back a few layers. I'm like, well, previous you were held captive by the business. You couldn't do what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it because you had class at that time because someone had to coach on Christmas Eve because someone, you know, you didn't have anyone. Now you finally have someone and now you're going to be held captive them too. When does it fucking end? Hmm. It's like when you see someone walking a dog and the dog's dragging them down the street. It's like, who's walking who, asshole? Like, you have to think about that. I like this conversation a whole lot because this, these are actually getting to a lot of the pain points that I'm sure you have discussed with gym owners and coaches throughout the years. And I, I know I have as well, but what is the realistic life cycle for somebody coaching within your organization? That's number one, because I have my own thoughts on this, but number two, what is, what are the things that you can do to better retain this person over a longer period of time? If that ends up being your goal, because I think that there's a lot of people have a lot of differing opinions on this, but I also think that a lot of people just fucking pretend like, this is not going to be an issue at some point that I'm just going to hire this person and that they're going to coach for me forever. And I'm not going to have to worry about whether or not, you know, there's going to have a change in season of life or another opportunity is going to come up, or they're going to get disappointed that they're still just making 20 bucks per hour. What's the life cycle? How do you retain? Yeah. So I see the life cycle from the average micro gym. It goes like this. I get a part-time coach or an intern and I train them up and they get a few hours and a few years later I can hire them. And if assuming this business is on an upward trajectory and they're profitable and all that, and now I can make them a full-time person and then they become a GM and, and, but then they kind of hit a ceiling, Hmm. right? Unless you're going to open up multiple locations corporately owned, or you're going to do a license or franchise model, there's a ceiling. Okay. You're going to open another entity, like an online thing, an online shop or some shit. So, um, there is a ceiling, uh, and that's generally the life cycle. Most people don't make it to that far end because most business owners don't have their shit figured out to ascend them to that level. Now, to your second question, there's only two things in HR we have to offer, compensation and fulfillment. That's it. You have two levers. In the beginning, that intern coach is probably not even getting paid for any of their hours, or that part-time coach is getting some dick wage. <laughs> fulfillment is through the roof. Yeah. The compensation is super low. But it doesn't matter because they love what they're doing. I've told this story a million times on podcasts. My GM, her, I started her at $600 a month to work for me full time. Coming from like a 60000 plus a year job at Bank of America to 600 that's how shitty her fulfillment at Bank of America was. It was so low. She would take that massive cut, but I put up a plan. Hey, every three months, 
I'm going to add $300 to that salary. So from 600 in three months, now you have a $900 month salary. From 900, now we're going down to 12, so on and so forth to get her up to the point of making more. Now, the issue with compensation and fulfillment is the fulfillment, it starts high, it's instantly on a down, it's like a tank just getting lowered. 100%. It will start getting lowered every day, ounce by ounce by ounce by ounce. The same way a gym owner comes into owning a gym, super high fulfillment, super low compensation. And then by year four, they're like, I don't want to coach any more classes. I just, I want to manage people. Like they're so jaded. So you have to constantly be able to refill that tank with new tasks, new roles, and with additional compensation. And that's the, you know, the pong back and forth mm. of a, of a good company. So when I work with like the mil- the gyms doing over a million dollars in your revenue that I work with, they are HR focused. Who's on the team? Are, do they feel they're being compensated fairly? Are they fulfilled? And if we can keep fulfillment, and this is what we do performance reviews every 90 days, if they feel like, you know, these people are saying, yeah, I love it. But the second I did this with Deuce, uh, my, uh, our, we call him an assistant GM head coach. I'm like, hey, Deuce, uh, so we're doing our performance review. I'm like, what about your job do you hate? And these are how I do mine. Very, very just laid back. And like, how, what, what is it you hate? Like out of all the tasks you do, which one could you fucking, you know, fuck, marry, kill, right? That kind of thing. He's like, I'd kill the cold calls because I had him cold calling like a motherfucker. Mm. He's like, I'd kill, I'd kill it. I don't want to do it. I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to figure out how we're going to get those done because I need them to get done. <clears throat> but give me a month and it's off your plate. Mm. It's done. And I didn't take away his compensation. So instantly I didn't pay him anymore and now he's happier. Yeah. Why not? So like, that's what we're playing with here, kids, fulfillment Mm -hmm. and compensation. And you have to realize the second you hire a coach and you start paying him your $25 an hour and whatever instantly realize now you're on a race with the business to get it high enough in revenue that you can compensate more. And eventually everybody wants to evolve. My, me and Sean Pastuch, we go back and forth on this a lot. He's obviously got a lot of coaches, looking to make careers as coaches. I don't believe anyone wants to be a career coach. Ah, jump to my next question. Yeah, I don't believe that's like a long-term plan for majority. The minority, the Mike Bergners of the world, mm. right? The fucking Eric Creases of the world, those guys, they want to be a career coach. But everyone wants to ascend to another thing. They want to mm. be able to give lectures. They want to coach coaches. They want to manage people. They want to start another. You're always going to have an ascension, I believe, no matter what your your career, your path, or your craft is. And for coaches to be like, well, they can coach and they could also do my social media. I'm like, I doubt that was probably in their fucking what they really wanted to do. So what yeah. else you got for them, buddy? Yeah. Well, they could, it's, it's tough. It's tough. You got to be very, you got to have a, a well-oiled machine to keep compensation and fulfillment in the upward trajectory over the course of the business. I really like that compensation and fulfillment um, analogy in comparison to where most gym owners need to be concerning themselves with HR. The thing that I've seen is that if you are not considering those two things and you're not aware that when you hire somebody, when they sign and they fucking ink the contract, that the fulfillment is at the highest that it will ever be ever, ever at that moment. If you do not consider the fact that that is on a downward trajectory and you're ignoring the conversations, you're ignoring asking this person, what, what else do you want to do? What else can you do? If you're ignoring the fact that you haven't given them regular bumps in compensation, uh, whether they are uh, scheduled like you had it or whether or not they're based on merit, that that downward trajectory is accelerated a million times, that that fulfillment will plummet so fucking fast. It's crazy. It'll plummet even faster if you do not bring them in. It's what I call leadership team. When you have key players on the team, we'd create a leadership team and the leadership team has a say in all major decisions. 
So I have a consultant, the guy named Joe that I work with, uh, with Urban. I have um, Isaac and I have Deuce mm. myself. That's our four-man leadership team. And we bring in uh, our branding, the guy we use for branding, um, Boris, uh, a lot in some things as well. But I run things by them. Like we don't, like I don't ever, make, I have final say, but I've, I, I rarely ever exercise that. In all honesty, it gets voted on. We talk mm. about it. Is this a good idea or is this not? And it gives a team more fulfillment when they actually feel like they're getting the steered boat. You know, my daughter, she's four. You know what her favorite thing in the fucking world is to do is, is when a car's parked, right? And we're waiting in school for her to sit in my lap and pretend like she's driving the car. That's what she fucking loves to do. Now, even when she gets old enough, you know, like, you know, like the driving school people, yeah, you got the person, but you could hit the brakes on the driver's side, the instructor's mm-hmm. side to stop that shit real quick. That's like the gym owner. Like you mm-hmm. have got to let these people actually steer it or at least feel like they're, they're a Have part a of it. Even if, yeah, even if you're able to hit the brakes and move things on, but gym owners that act in a vacuum and are like, this is just how it is. And they don't develop that team. Find me any team. I don't care if it's sports. I don't care if it's a fucking paintball rec league. I don't care what you do. Find me a team where someone likes just one person making all the decisions and not explaining it or bringing you into it when you're supposed to be on a team. And I get mm-hmm. it. Well, that's an employee. Like, I, no, if you still think of employees just like fucking grunts, like people who just work for you, you, you need to pick up a Simon Sinek book or fucking just join any kind of leadership conversation in the past 15 years. What would you say to gym owners who go, yeah, that's all well and good. I get it. But I have no interest in managing that kind of system. I don't care about necessarily creating that kind of structure for my people. All I, all I want to do is I want to hire some people to run some fucking classes for me. And I want to show up and I want to work out. And then I want to design the next t-shirt and then I want to go home. Perfect. Yeah. Two, you have two things. Number one, it, that happens every, every day. That's, that's a franchise model or a replicatable model. So you bet you need to have either two things, cash and a system. I have gym owners that say that to me all the time. Like, I don't want to do it. I'm like, cool. No big deal. All you need is money. Do you have fifty six thousand? Do you well, or do you have fifty six thousand dollars free right now for us to give to someone annually to be your operations oh, manager no, and manage yeah. all your coaches? Like, no, I don't have fifty six thousand dollars a year to give to someone. I don't even pay myself. Them. Like, oh, then you haven't earned it yet. But you either need cash to pay somebody, you need the money to pay somebody, and then you need the system because you can't just. A lot of gym owners do this too, and you see them do it with young twenty somethings, millennials for their social media. Like, hey, you fuck with TikTok, right? Can you help? Can you do our social media? And the person's like, yeah, but like, what do you want me to do? What does like? I need more. I need more context. The same happens in that HR conversation where a gym owners like, yeah, I just want to hire someone to manage this thing and run it. Bro, that, that you need to give them something. That's the system I'm talking about. And I hate using that word. I let you like operational workflow is what I, is what I really like to talk about. It's like, how does everything kind of flow and work together? And the thing with workflow is it expands and contracts as needed. A system is generally installed, yeah, but it only fits this one way. If we mm-hmm. tweak it and do things, the system breaks. Most systems break when markets change. And guess what? Markets always change. So I teach operational workflow, things that expand and contract with the business. I don't install anything in my business or any of the gyms I work with that doesn't expand and contract. Because I've mm-hmm. never seen like, oh, we, we're doing the same system we did in 2009, Stu. I'm like, no, you, I mean, if you did, you're one of these fuck-faced gym owners that's in a lot of trouble. But very few people are keeping the exact same system that they did because there's no way that your systems at 120 members is the same at 320 members. Yeah. Rigidity in that sense is a fucking death sentence. Yes, it is. For sure. This idea of career coach, 
as a primary earner. I want to I want to talk about this because there are a lot of people that get into coaching, maybe in like it, it varies, but let's just pretend somebody's getting into coaching in, in the mid to late twenties, right? Maybe they had some other career or fledgling career that they got started in and they, and they realize they have this really deep passion for functional training or CrossFit, the thing that we're doing. And they go, I want to get out of whatever I'm doing and I want to get into coaching. And I am the primary earner, or I envision myself as being the primary earner for whatever family unit, whether or not that ends up just being myself or me plus a partner, me plus kids. That's who I am. That's my role. Is that a realistic path for people. And I know that there's some differing opinions on this in the community. I know that Dr. Sean has his own opinions. You have yours. I have mine. What is the realistic possibility of somebody being a primary earner who's just a coach? I, I totally think it's doable. A thousand fucking percent. Just like if you loved working with wood, you know, like, can I really make a living being a carpenter? Yeah. You just have to be really fucking good. Hmm. Like really good. And, and so I believe with coaches, so like I, I'm a quote unquote, I'm a, I hate this word, but I'm a consultant, right? Like that's a job. It's not a business. It's a job. I talked about it earlier. If I die, WTF, gym talk dies or whatever, a coach, that's a job. If you don't show up to coach, like you can't be on the bot, you can't be on vacation with your kids for three weeks and coach people like you coaches have to coach people. So you'd either have to deliver your service digitally or in person. So that job there, that's what I call it. It's a technician job. Doctors are technicians, lawyers are technicians, coaches are technicians, uh, salons, uh, hairstylists are technicians. These are veterinaries. Like these are things that require in-person or some kind of digital contact type scenario with their customer. Yes, you can as a coach. My thing is this, is that I think you need to, you need to talk to very experienced, successful, and I don't care how you define it. It's because they love what they do. They make six figures, whatever it is, and ask them, how many years have been doing this? And then let's say it's you. And you're like, I've been doing this over a decade. And they're like, great. When should I expect to make X? Or when should I expect to be able to do this? Like to be able to only work 20 hours a week and then go with my wife and kids on the weekend. Like ask other people who have what you believe ascended to the highest levels of your technician craftsmanship and talk to them about what should my expectations be? Because I think that's what most technicians, when they get into whatever their career is, they don't do. They're just like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it really good. I'm going to make a bunch of money. And I guess I'll get more clients and I'll charge a little bit more and they'll get more clients and I'll try. And I don't know, I'm just going to be, that's how, that's my path. That's my plan. And as we can, as you guys can hear that, that that's a really shitty, loose, abstract plan. You Doesn't should be work. like, yeah, like you have to tie some stuff to it. And I, I don't tie money to happiness. I tie the ability, what I believe happiness is, is being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Mm. And for, like for me, that has a, that there's a financial freedom number associated with that. And so I know that's what, as a, as a technician, what I want to make. And now I can go ahead and talk to, to my business coach who, and be like, hey, well, what are the things I need to do to get to there since you've done this already kind of mm. scenario, right? So I think you got to talk to other technicians, find, you know, talk to the Mike Berkners of the world and, and the, the Kelly Starrettes of the world and the Sean Pastuches and all these and MDVs and people who have been great coaches. And I think what you'll find is they've ascended into other things and well, what, that reality it, kicks in that you're probably not going to be just the coach forever. One of the things that you mentioned there about all of those people in their different ways have created some sort of scale based off of their talent and how are they going to reach more people doing the thing that they love? Not still, and this might still be part of what they do, but it's not the only thing that they do, not still just coaching one hour per day in somebody else's system. Yeah. That 
does not, in my opinion, equate to a realistic plan on how you're going to quote unquote, make it as a coach. Yep. I think a lot of people get fucking stuck, man. You know, one of the things that I notice about coaches and I, it hasn't come up in the past couple of months, but I've had this conversation more fucking times than I'd like to is the fact that somebody ends up joining somebody else's organization. They are a talented person. They really love what they do. They get kind of deeply entrenched in coaching and the, the joys of it. And uh, let's be real. It's not fucking brain surgery. You're not showing up every single day to do the hardest work of your life. You're doing something that's incredibly meaningful, that has a lot of impact on people that takes a level of talent and skill, but you're not going out there and operating on somebody's fucking brain. It gets comfortable for a lot of people. And four, five, six years can go by and you can still be in the same role with the same person in the same gym. And then all of a sudden you get resentful, more resentful than you've probably ever been against any other boss in your entire life. And then you go, what the fuck did I just do for the past six or seven years? Yeah. Earlier, you know, as you were talking about that, you know, the difference is when we talk about all those names, those bigger names that I've mentioned that have evolved it, what they did, the only way you're able to evolve your thing, as you said, at scale as a coach is with experience. What all those people have, like a consultant, a Kelly Starrett, you, what we can scale, whether it's an online scale or an in-person scale, it all exists on our reps, on our experience. So if you're a coach listening to this right now and you don't want to live the scenario that MDV was just talking about, where it's going to be the four or five, six years, you're like, what the fuck? I've been doing the same shit over. Realize that Every day is another day you're going to experience and a, you know, to look into the industry and, and, and find yourself somewhere you really lean into. Every coach, because again, coaching is general, every coach kind of leans into something. I know some that love working with fucking amputee wounded warriors. I know some who are into o, o lifting or into this and parkour or whatever. You have got to find a thing and lean into it. And then as you get reps and experience, be thinking how can I leverage this into either another business, another revenue stream, or another career path um, down the line? And for most people, it could be writing a book. It could be starting an online YouTube channel. It could be creating a podcast. It could be creating uh, just videos and, and getting you know word out and growing a following and then doing in-person speaking or going and traveling and doing seminars and mm. teaching people your thing. But you got to have a thing. Just because you're a coach, but I've been a coach for seven years and just nothing's really happened. It's like, well, what did you do different? Did you evolve your thing? Did you lean into anything? Did you study? Like at Urban Movement, my falling out of love with CrossFit and falling in love with our tempo training model now came on the back of, you know, studying like O'Shea and fucking Ian Stewart. And like, just like I started diving down a certain time under tension rabbit hole and I, you know, studied it and I tested it. I just, I fell in love with that niche and element of coaching. And that's mm -hmm. became, that became an entire micro gym model. So that's why I get to evolve. Mm -hmm. Cause I fucking, I did some exploration. I fucked around with some things. I got more experience and then I leaned into something, but it's just like to exist as just a coach and not get into a, a certain element of it or any kind of niche. You can't, you know, a general practitioner, nobody remembers your general practitioner. You do remember the cardiovascular heart surgeon that saved grandpa. You mm. do remember the fucking whatever guy that, that worked on your traumatic brain injury. Like the specialist doctors, they get the fucking accolades because they do the big fucking work. Mm. But a general physician, you go in there annually and you see your physical and he grabs your balls, he's coughs and, you know, <laughs> tell you, and you're like, you're good to go. You don't really think about that fucking guy. 
like because and again you think of like you know anesthesiologists people who have specialized in something in medicine mm. and i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with doctors and i'm going to fucking i'm going to trigger and some woke doctor that's listening to this maybe but like i i'm here to tell you guys that if you want to be a coach long term and make good money and enjoy your life you will have to while you're collecting these reps and experiences you're going to need to start thinking about what your next thing is and it can still be in coaching yeah it just has to be at a higher level of it you yeah i i, I like to th- I like to think about this as being active in your own salvation because you, you simply cannot wait for somebody else to create the opportunity for you. You cannot wait for your gym owner to approach you one day and say, Hey, I'm going to make you the X, or I would like you to go and open up X gym down the road. Unless that's part of the fucking plan, unless that's part of the agreement, part of that whole fulfillment compensation kind of teeter totter that we were talking about earlier. But if you are just simply showing up every day, whether or not you're doing a great job or you're doing an okay job, you're doing a poor job. If that's all you do and you are not asking for more out there, putting your antennas up, looking around the space and saying, what else is there? Or what's my thing? Or what can I do? You are complicit in this, I don't want to call it waste. It's not a waste, but it's complicit in the fact that you are not spurring along your own growth because nobody's going to fucking do it for you. Yeah. That's the hard truth. Yeah. No one's going to do it for you. And then, and even if they did, you wouldn't like what they did. Even if someone did do it for you, you wouldn't like it because you didn't pick your own fucking path. And that's how we are as humans. Right. Um, You know, it's one of these things, man, I think for the coaching career, People who want to be career coaches, I think it's there's it, it, right now, especially with the digital world, it's 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 not easier, but it's more accessible than ever to really create a significant career as a coach. Mm-hmm. And coach can be I write programs online and someone buys them. Coach could be I work one on one with people in person or digitally. Coach could be, you know, I go to group events and I train people on how to move like this. Think of Edo Portal and and shit like that. People who do animal locomotion type stuff, like that's a niche thing. But you have to figure it out. It's like the gym. That's like they. Have have no idea who they are, what they do, why they do it. They have no idea. They haven't evolved. They're like, oh, we get fit. I'm like, oh, that's great, man. There's a, a lot of places that you can do that and that also claim it. So why don't you dig in a little bit deeper with your current experience and try to get a better idea as to what the fuck it is that you could do that is like, oh, I didn't realize that you could just do that. Right? I've never realized, like going to my tempo training thing, like people like, so wait, every fucking movement is tempo to it. I'm like, yeah, not pretty much, but yeah. And they're like, mm thrusters i'm like yeah like pull-ups i'm like yeah like burpees i'm like yeah but it's a push-up burpee but yeah we don't do that sprawling pussy shit and they're like uh <laughs> and they're, they're they're like did you can you do that i'm like of course you could do it i fucking you could do anything it's fitness uh, yeah. so like fitness is so pliable you can come up with whatever the fuck you want it's not just 21 15 9 thrusters no, and pull-ups <laughs> it's, it's not apparently not and and i mean it, that's the thing is there's guys that are gonna do 21 15 9 coaching thrusters and pull-ups like high level world-class you're probably one of them and you can make a career doing that you just have to find that one niche that only wants 2159 thrusters and pull-ups and like and you can't because that that is a niche in of itself every dive bar and i'm not calling 2159 a dive bar but every city is a dive bar and it probably has decent economic uh backing or an economic engine to it because dive bars do what they do really good they sell really inexpensive beer. They have a really low rent because they're in a shitty part of town, but they've got a vibe and a culture and a thing that you can't create at the fucking craft seltzery mm. down the street. Stu, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We're approaching in an hour here, and I know that you're a busy guy, so I want to be respectful of your time. I got to ask you one last question here. 
some of the stuff that I get the biggest chuckle at is when you go ad lib on your social media channels or in your stories and you call out the quote unquote lazy fucks out there. Yeah. I think it's really, it's first of all, it's very funny, but has anybody ever hit you back up and been like, Hey, you didn't invent this or, you know, what are you doing calling me out X, Y, or Z? Cause oh, yeah. it's, it's definitely a, I don't, I can't think of anybody else in the space who does it the way that you do it. That's, it's very rare. Yeah. So the reason I do that stuff is twofold. And yeah, so I've, I've, I've created vlogs where I've literally just had my camera like going while I'm, I have this guy in speakerphone. I like, we had literally a guy take photographs of ours, actual photographs of my members and coaches and Photoshop my logo out and put their logo on. Oh. And like, I, and this is a monthly thing. And the amazing thing is, you know, with the, you know, the people who are, uh, who enjoy watching my shit, I get this sent to me every month. And now that we're doing the licensing thing, I now have this kind of legal requirement to uphold certain marks and trademarks and marketing campaigns and stuff like that, that yeah. we'll be giving the licensees. Uh, you guys get that. I know with NC fit. So calling people out, uh, I think the reason it never bothered me prior is because it was just me. But now that the licensee, I feel like I have a responsibility to people. Simultaneously, I'm now co- I started doing this WTF Gym Talk thing in 2015. Over 700 videos, the 400, 500 podcast. Like I've put a lot of free stuff out there, like a lot. And I, I think it, I, I started really kind of just getting kind of pissed off a little at, at times. But like I give you all the free stuff. Like I have free. Like anyone listening to this, if you ever send me a DM with a question, I'll probably send you a, a 60 second long detailed answer and audio message. You know, I send you audio messages anytime I we go back and forth. Don't send me audio messages anymore. It's the I most fu- embarrassing but- thing ever. I hate listening to that shit. That's why I don't have voicemail. Don't audio <laughs> message. Just text me. But- but it's like, I, I always feel like that's such a great way to give back know, to someone who randomly sent me a DM. They're like, holy shit, he took the time and I could hear the tone of his voice. But then to go in and steal stuff, like I've spent money on brand design guys, lawyers for trademarking, all this. And you're going to go steal my shit out of there. Like I'm going to make a, I'm going to make an example out of you and spank you publicly on, on Instagram yeah. and let everyone know that you're just a lazy fuck face. And hopefully that is some kind of an awakening for you. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's rare, especially in this day and age. It's rare. That kind of candor, that kind of just, Hey, I'm going to say this because I want to say it. And I don't care if you come back at me because I'm going to defend it. It's uh, everybody's so afraid right now of being canceled or, you know, being put on blast for or whatever. And it's just, it's refreshing, man. I've enjoyed it. I've, uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you as well. I got to say, when I was looking at your stuff a few years ago, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. yeah. It's very, I get a lot of that. I get a lot of that. It's very nice to know you though. Stu, for the listeners here, where can they find out more about you, more about urban movement and more about. Yeah. uh, Guys, the easiest thing is just, you know, put into the Google machine, WTF gym talk and that, you know, that handle is, is nobody wanted that handle. So right. You can grab that anywhere. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, wherever WTF gym talk.com. You'll find videos. You'll find all the good stuff, the podcast. But if you, if you've got a specific, specific question, please shoot me a DM on Instagram. That's the easiest way to get in contact with me. I'm more than happy to jam with people. Um, it's, it's what I truly love to do. It is my job is my, my technician career. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I always just am humbled and appreciate anyone giving me even five minutes of their time to, to listen to a podcast like this, or to even think of sending me a question. So, um, yeah, send it on through. Very cool. And urban movement. How about that? Where can they find yeah. Urban that? movement, uh, take the vowels out of it. Um, 
and uh, throw that into a URL, urbanmovement.com, M-V-M-N-T. Uh, it's a micro gym model that we have here in Charlotte. We're opening, uh, we'll have two in Virginia, one in Texas, uh, one in Ohio. Hopefully we'll be announcing all these here by the end of the year, but it's a licensed model. Uh, and it just uh, is my white space thing. I took Orange Theory and I looked at what CrossFit did and I created a white space, a white space version that didn't exist. So uh, we're really excited about the expansion of that. Very cool. Looking forward to see what happens. And Stu, always looking forward to your next piece of content. Thank you very much, my man. Thank you, dude. Thank you for having me.